This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the Bama Online Podcast. It is a Monday, December the 5th, 2022. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BOL, alongside Senior Team Reporter. On this Monday, Mr. Charlie Potter, the incomparable Charlie Potter. And Charlie, uh, no shortage of topics for us as we delve into another installment of the Bama Online Podcast. We're going to talk some Alabama football, of course, on the heels of the college football playoff announcement. On Sunday, the Crimson Tide, as we know now, headed to New Orleans to take on Kansas State in the 2022 Sugar Bowl. We'll get into football talk. We'll talk as an extension of all that, transfer portal, uh, the bowl matchup itself, was there a legitimate case to be made for Alabama where the college football playoff was concerned? And we'll get into some hoops talk as well. A top 10 matchup for Nate Oates' team on the horizon. The AP poll came out earlier today. Alabama now number eight in the AP men's basketball poll. Houston set for Saturday. That matchup in Texas, uh, the Cougars, number one team in the country right now. So plenty to talk about. And, Charlie, let's start with uh, football because I wanted to get your thoughts right off the top. Uh, your level of surprise, if there was any, to see Alabama excluded from that top four on Sunday. No, it kind of fell the way I thought it would. Um, you know, I know Nick Saban made the rounds on a bunch of shows. Um I saw somebody joke that if, if you had a, a podcast for the first time, he'd probably be on there. But, I mean, he's, he's done that in the past. Um, you know, trying to use his influence as much as he can to maybe sway the, the committee. And, um, you know, the, the two losses were just too much to, to overcome, I think. And uh, I think now here we sit and look back at the year. And, um, man, it's just going over this this weekend and and you know writing all these scenarios and and everything the, that LSU game um is is tough to to swallow if you're Nick Saban Tennessee you know that kind of felt like a perfect storm given where Tennessee was at the time the way they were playing the health of their roster that being in Knoxville how long it had been since they had beaten Alabama but its LSU teams had some uh lost several games well they've got four losses now uh, when you look at their schedule and, um, you know, that's one that you kind of look back on and think, man, if, if only you can make a couple more plays in that game, things have gone differently. But with the way it shook out on, on Sunday, I, I think it was what I expected. Um, you know, I, I didn't really even have a, a story ready to go if Alabama had made the playoff. Uh, I just didn't, didn't see that happening. I, I thought with TCU, losing in overtime uh, to a pretty good Kansas State team, a Kansas State team that's going to give Alabama some problems um, on New Year's Eve. Uh, I thought that they wouldn't get penalized for that. And then Ohio State having the one loss, albeit kind of a blowout, um, you know, on the road at Michigan. Uh, I think that's – or at home against Michigan. Um, It's still just the one loss. It was tough for a two-loss team to to get in. So, 
you know, as a consolation prize, you know me. I think we're in agreement here. A trip to New Orleans down for New Year's yeah. Eve is never a bad thing. But um, with Alabama now, you kind of turn the page to, okay, well, who's going to be available? Because now you're out of the playoff, and it's only the second time that's happened. And so we'll see, you know, where it goes from our, our roster standpoint and availability standpoint. But just from a – where I thought things would shake out on, on Sunday, the, the chips kind of fell where I thought they would. Yeah, this wasn't an Alabama team that I felt like you could really beat on the table for or stand on the table for or however you wanted to do the table for. Um, because just based on simple math, they were the only team in the mix with just 10 wins. And they were the only team in the mix with two losses. And so from that perspective, it was going to be especially difficult. And I know we kind of look at TCU. I do it. I'm guilty of this as well. I kind of look at TCU like Cincinnati from a year ago. But the reality is TCU is in the Big 12 Conference. Now, you can say, well, that's certainly not a strong league. I get all that. And TCU did not even win its conference championship. Um, but it did. It felt like going into Sunday, it was more about, Alabama, Ohio State, right, than mm-hmm. it was Alabama, TCU. So if Alabama was getting in, it was going to have to be at the expense of Ohio State. I think the committee looks at it as we got an 11-1 and one, uh, Ohio State team, a 10-2 and two Alabama team. They're pretty comparable. And, yes, whether or not the committee ever will admit to this or not, brand value is taken into account in that particular type of scenario. I think Alabama is the biggest brand still in college football, but Ohio State is certainly at that level as well. So math, really, just pretty simple math that came down to Ohio State in Alabama. And what about this team now as it heads into bowl season? And, you know, I don't want to say disappointing because you win 10 games. You obviously did some things right. But given the expectations and the star power and what this team returned, I got to at least go with underwhelming, don't I? Where kind of overviewing this 10 and 2 record is concerned. I I don't know. Maybe you'll go as far as disappointing. Probably to the parties involved, the player staff, you don't make the college football playoff with this team. I think it is disappointing. But to call this team a disappointment, I don't know if I'd go that far, but I damn sure call it underwhelming. Yeah, I mean – disappointing and disappointment feel a little different um i think by alabama standard it is a disappointing season because you returned a lot from last year's team you had bryce young and and will anderson captaining both sides of the ball um you know of course you had the injury to bryce but you know he still in the tennessee game played his ass off um 450 plus yards yeah Yeah. you gotta have guys step up around him and i think that was kind of the disappointing aspect is the inconsistency really on both sides of the ball, because you know, we've seen um, you know, early on the season, the defense didn't really give up a lot of big plays. They're able to stop the run pretty well and hell in the season finale, Auburn kind of Georgia Southern them on the ground. So, and then offensively, you know, I think wide receiver um, just the inconsistencies there, although some of the young guys stepped up as the season progressed um, I think the running game kind of got better as the season went on, but I think that overall, just in terms of what we kind of measure Alabama to, it, it was a disappointing year. And again, though, like you look around college football, 
95 maybe more percent of the, the teams in the country would trade places with Alabama right now <laughs> to, to be to have that sour taste in their mouth a little bit and uh, it would be much sweeter than what other teams are experiencing but for the success the sustained success that Nick Saban's had in Tuscaloosa over the last you know 10-15 years this is with all the expectations going into the season and he's talked about how you know those were kind of an issue for this team um but with the returning talent that they had, you expected more. I think at the very least, you know, to get in as the four seed. And even though you're right there, the next team out at number five, um, you know, to not be in Atlanta, to not be in the college football playoff, and, you know, to to end really Bryce Young's tenure as the starter without a national championship, I, I think disappointing is the right thing. I'd still, to me, though, to say this team was a disappointment that feels a little more harsh. So um, I, I, I get it, but just from where Alabama is and how high it or how different it, it's measured compared to other teams, it, it does feel you know disappointing for you know, people that cheer for the team, and I think a lot of people in that building. Who is more of Alabama's college football playoff absence on? Is it the offense? Or would you say the defense or maybe even special teams? Because, damn, I mean, you look at the Tennessee game and how huge, you know, that special teams were uh, in that loss. Uh, I guess all three phases you could kind of point to. And it, it probably that's where it rests when we ask this kind of question. But if we look at the offense and the defense specifically, um, which of those two would you say didn't live up to it? as much as maybe you thought going into the season? Um, I guess just in terms of the, the close losses, I, I maybe would go defense. And I, I, I definitely don't want to put that on, on Will Riker's shoulders. I thought Riker played well um, all season outside of his little bit of a slump. But um, I'm trying to find it. I want to give appropriate credit where it's due. Here it is. It's Matt Hinton tweeted this. You're talking about how with Bryce Young, of course, you know we're going to get the Heisman Trophy finalists later tonight, and I don't know if Bryce will be making a, a second consecutive trip to, to New York, even though I think he has a little bit of a case. But he said every time he touched the ball with Alabama trailing in the fourth quarter, he led a scoring drive to tire take the lead. So he didn't yeah. leave the field in the fourth quarter with Alabama trailing. So I know the offense may be around him, the play calling, uh, everything else might not have been up to up to snuff. It might have you know been inconsistent or you know, a little disappointing. But Bryce did everything he could uh, this season to to will Alabama to uh, to wins, and you know he gave the defense a chance to make a stop. You look at. Tennessee, um, of course, is a, a field goal opportunity, but still, you know, they're they have a chance to put points on the board. Um, heck, the overtime at LSU, they couldn't get a stop whenever everyone in the world knew that Jaden Daniels was going to run the ball. You even have the the game um, at, at Texas A and M, you know, late where they have to make a stop at the yeah, end. Yeah, they so, they survived. Yeah, they survived Texas A and M. People at the time tried to make it sound like it was this you know, stop for all time. And, and really they just survived A&M in that situation, I thought, but um, I'm with you though. I go with the defense and, and it's a great stat that you threw out there. Uh, and it's one I've talked about more in relation to the LSU game since that loss was that four times after halftime in Baton Rouge, the offense gave the defense a lead 
uh, including overtime. And none of those times, really, was the defense able to get off the field without points or surrendering the lead back to LSU. So when you think about all the pieces that Alabama returned, and I know Bill O'Brien is a favorite pinata for a lot of the fan base. I get it. I know Pete Golding has caught his fair share of shrapnel this season as well. But to me, it was it was more on the defense because, you know, Bryce was still dealing with the shoulder in both those games. And he still helped you take the lead or have the lead in the second half. And your defense could not get the job done with all of those returning pieces. Um, and that's not to overlook special teams. And I totally agree. I don't put anything really on Will Reichard. I mean, he missed a 50-yarder uh, just a little bit to the right at Tennessee. And he gave them opportunities really to win games. He made the big one late at LSU that nobody will remember, right, mm-hmm. to put that game into overtime to give them a chance. So, no, none of that on Will Reichard. But just some special team snafus in general, like the the touch of the football or the grab of the football by Q Robinson at Tennessee. I mean, some of these situations uh, were certainly detrimental. So let's move on. Let's talk about K-State in the Sugar Bowl. I think you touched on it earlier. Um, watching K-State win the Big 12 championship game Saturday over TCU, uh, not exactly, I think, the kind of team you'd like to see. Um, Alabama has been in this situation in the past and right there in the Sugar Bowl, as, as a matter of fact. Utah many years ago, Oklahoma about a decade ago. So what's the concern level, do you think, Charlie, for this team? And that's understanding we still don't know exactly who's going to play in the game for Alabama. Um, but as it sits right now, uh, where do you sit on that in terms of concern for, for Alabama in that matchup? Well, I mean, everything we've just talked about, the the Sugar Bowl kind of feels fitting because you look at – first of all, the Sugar Bowl is the, the most frequented bowl game for Alabama. This will be their 17th trip down there. But the the fifth under Nick Saban, and, and Alabama's one in three in those games. And um, you look at games like uh, Oklahoma – Utah, you know, those are whenever uh, or those are coming after Alabama was kind of knocked out of the national championship picture. It's the, the same kind of situation this year against a team that is pretty scrappy and uh, can give you problems. So it, it just kind of feels like that kind of year again. It will depend on, you know, the choices by some players in terms of what they're going to do, whether they're going to play in the bowl game or, you know, start focusing on the NFL draft. You know, Bryce Young, Will Anderson at the top of that list. Uh, because if, if you don't have some of your best players out there, it's going to make it even more difficult. So that's going to be something we continue to monitor you know, this week and if it lingers into next. But uh, I think we'll find out pretty soon with some of these guys. But, yeah, I mean, you look at Kansas State, um, they have three losses, but they're a team that likes to run the football. I think they're averaging you know well over 200 yards a, a game. Deuce Vaughn's a really talented player. You know, he has the most uh, rushing attempts in the Big 12, if I'm not mistaken. And their their defense is is pretty solid. Their tops in the Big 12, which you know most years isn't anything to even say out loud uh, in terms of scoring defense. And then um, you know they got a couple of talented guys on their defensive front that can get after the quarterback. So you know those are things that. Um, regardless of, of who's at quarterback you, you're going to be mindful of just in terms of them being able to get pressure but then on the opposite side of the ball them wanting to lean into that run game and and having success with it 
you know, that's not necessarily ideal with some of the things we've seen from Alabama down the stretch. So, um, again, availability will be important. Um, I imagine some of these guys have already made up their minds and they're going to be announcing something soon. But, um, you know, Nick Saban said he imagines there's going to be some some younger guys getting some opportunities. And that's good for the future. But if you want to get to 11 wins and not have three losses on the schedule, those guys are going to have to play really well against Kansas State. Yeah, I think you said it with availability being the key word and not just physically who's available, but the mental availability of the guys that do go to New Orleans for Alabama. Uh, Where are they at from a mindset perspective? And, you know, if it does play out that Bryce doesn't play in the game, Will doesn't play in the game, I'm almost taking the mindset, Charlie, that this is like the 2023 season opener in a neutral site situation with K-State with, you know, the quarterback situation and what it could be uh, for next season. And, boy, the interesting possibilities there with Jalen Milrow and Ty Simpson. I saw earlier today where Eli Drinkwitz, the head coach at Missouri, had filed a waiver with the NCAA to see if the four game red shirt rule could be accepted for bowl game this year because of, I'm going to guess the portal and players opting out and just being able to kind of have the, the numbers you need. Uh, and, and I don't, I don't think that's a, a particular issue for Alabama overall, but Ty Simpson has played in four games, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, if, if, if that's something that, and, I, and I'll be surprised, frankly, if it does get approved for for Mizzou. But if it does, it's something to keep an eye on, perhaps in relation to uh, Ty Simpson. But look, you know, we saw Sunday night at the player banquet for Alabama, the team banquet. Uh, Bryce and Will, permanent team captains for a second straight season. I got to think that weighs in their minds at least somewhat in terms of making a decision, right? about whether or not you play in the bowl game or not. I, I'm not going to judge them if they don't in a, in a negative light. I get it. But th- do you think something intangibly like that could play into this? I do, yeah. I mean, especially with some of the things that a guy like Will Anderson has said the last couple of years. Um, but I, by no means would I blame them at all for not playing in the bowl game because those guys are going to be um, you know, top five, top ten picks in the draft. Um, but yeah, I think as guys that have been the, the shining examples the last two years, um, it would kind of just be reflective of what we've seen and heard about this team. Um, and you know, it's, it's a situation where I think both guys want to play. I don't think that's, um, up for debate, but Nick Saban, heck you go back to, to 2019, when uh, Trayvon Diggs and, and Terrell Lewis opted out. And those guys were by no means projected to go where either Will or Bryce is in the upcoming draft. But um, you know, Nick Saban basically called it a business decision. And when you look at it strictly from that perspective, uh, I, I think it makes a lot of sense for them not to play in this game. And you could make the case for maybe some other guys, maybe a Jameer Gibbs, a Brian Branch. Guys are projected to be some of the first guys of their positions off the board. But um, – no, I, I do think that is something that they will think about. And I'm not saying oh, that'll sway them to, to play in the game, but I, I definitely think it gives them pause. And you, you don't want to feel like a hypocrite, right? And I think that would be what that would feel like to be voted a team captain, 
Uh, heck, for the second year in a row, you have Will Anderson being the most inspiring player voted on by his teammates. And uh, for you to then be like, okay, guys, I'm going to hang them up and, and get ready for the draft, not playing the bowl game. That's that's not a great look. But again, I, me personally, not being in that locker room and affected by that, I don't blame them whatsoever because they are going to be making life-changing money in a matter of months. And you don't want to mess that up in a bowl game. That, frankly, doesn't mean anything. So yeah, we'll see. Um, you know, Nick Saban, when we heard from him yesterday in a Zoom call from the Sugar Bowl, said he hadn't talked to him yet. And um, you know, for what it's worth, they went through workouts with the team last week. And uh, I guess we'll, we'll see soon. But no, I, I think you're right. It, it definitely adds a, a different wrinkle and dynamic to this. Yeah, and understand we're recording this midday Monday, and <laughs> yeah. the the, uh, the current situation, as you're seeing on your timelines from teams and players across the country, exceptionally fluid right now. So things could change even in the time that we're recording this podcast. But um, you're going to have the early kickoff. What about that, Charlie? 11 a.m. on New Year's Eve for Alabama and K-State. I was thinking about that, though. Since it is the Sugar Bowl and we're talking New Orleans, man, that press box brunch in the Dome on that Saturday might be pretty damn good, Charlie. I mean, you might have some shrimp and grits. You might have a mimosa slash Bloody Mary bar. I mean, it is New Orleans. Kind of anything goes down there. That's true. Um, and usually just the media hospitality is really good there. Now, the media hotel is different. I know nobody gives a shit about that, but um, <laughs> it is different this year. Uh, but they 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 usually do it pretty well just in terms of the free meals they they serve. They have a, a very New Orleans flair as one would expect. So, yeah, I mean that's it. It's not ideal. I know fans have have griped about this quite a bit. But being someone that's going to be in New Orleans and at the game, uh, I'm cool with it being as early as possible on New Year's Eve to have the rest Heck of yeah, New man. Year's Eve to to kind of have a little fun. You got to be mindful though the night before of what you do. Uh, for that early kick. Just don't but. go to bed, Charlie. What are you talking about? <laughs> go go straight through, do the game, two-hour nap around five, you know, two, three, maybe four-hour nap. You get a nap till about nine, ten, and you're ready to rock, ready to rock and roll. Maybe I'm maybe I'm thinking more a 22-year-old Charlie. Is that maybe what I'm thinking there? No, 30-year-old Charlie doesn't sleep much either. So, okay, all right. Um, not for lack of trying. <laughs> That's not a – that's not really a choice thing, but um, no, I've, I've had many a, a sleepless nights in New Orleans, so mm-hmm. we'll see how mm-hmm. it goes. But I I think, you know, for people that are going there and want to, you know, at least experience the city while also taking in the game, it, it kind of works out pretty well. Yeah, we got to be careful. We don't want an opt out from Charlie, you know, for the bowl <laughs> game. He gets hey, down I, there. and We haven't applied for credentials yet, so we'll see what my <laughs> Stay tuned for that. Yeah, big announcement. Maybe we can get you to get one of those Hayes Fawcett, you know, edits, you know, on Twitter. <laughs> you know, I, I I am with a little letter, you know, a little note yeah. on there. I, I think what I would do, I would uh, hit up Crankmouth Productions and do a video. <laughs> yes, <Hey>. yes, Crankmouth. <laughs> Nobody does it like Crankmouth. We know that. <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, there you go. Big questions for Alabama K-State from the Alabama perspective. Not only who plays, Charlie, but who's coaching in the game. Because – you know, you would think there there wouldn't be much change, certainly through the early signing date coming up, and then maybe you get through the bowl game. But it isn't the college football playoff. Um, 
So it's not like there's that on the table for this team and this coaching staff. Uh, we're seeing coaching dominoes fall around the country where head coaching moves are being made. And so uh, you're going to keep an eye on that too, I would, I would guess, where the coaching staff is concerned. Yeah, no doubt. And I, I do think that you're right. The early signing date, you're not going to see anybody leave before that. They're going to want to get this class signed and and secure the commitments they already have. Um, I, I think a lot of those guys would, would coach through the bowl game. But you know, with a lot of these coaching jobs around the country filling up, you know, those staffs are having to go through. And you're, it's going to be hard-pressed to, to land some commits from 2023 guys. But the transfer portal, man, like um, – yeah, I think I saw a report that Deion Sanders has already heard from 200 players, which, you know, with Deion, you never know if that's true or not. But there's a lot of guys that are you know taking jobs elsewhere that are still trying to fill out their rosters and do so in creative ways. And if some of these guys are to land positions elsewhere, they're going to be having a hand in that. So it is something that we'll watch. But I, I think at the very least, you're not going to see any movement before the early signing date. Nick Saban wants to get this class in and, and get it um you know, as, as secure as possible is where it stands right now. Yeah, it's good for Dion. He's hearing from that many potential transfers. It's all Trey Sanders, right? The mm-hmm. Alabama running back uh, throwing a throwing, taking his shot with Dion uh, here in the last day or so. It's a good thing too because Dion apparently in his first move as Colorado head coach uh, cut the entire damn team at Colorado. <laughs> Poor Tommy <laughs> Brown. <laughs> in his first uh, official act as Colorado CU coach. Um, so let's talk transfer portal. Uh, again, we're recording this at midday on Monday. Uh, so everyone understands that, but here most recently, uh, we've heard from JV on Cohen. Uh, is that the biggest move to date for Alabama, Alabama now around 10 approaching 10, at least uh, transfer portalists. At this point, uh, is Cohen the the guy that stands out the most so so far for Alabama? Uh, are you surprised by that decision, given that Emil Echior is moving on and good for Emil? I saw where he accepted a senior bowl invite, uh, I guess, earlier on Monday. But you look at those guard spots, even with Tyler Booker coming back, uh, you need another guard there. Yeah, I mean, I think Cohen is definitely the biggest domino to fall. I know Alabama fans probably don't like that analogy, given what happened um, a few years ago. But it, he's he's the most impactful one because he is a guy that started uh, damn near every game, and he's been a starter for the last two years. Um, and then, like you said, with Emil Ekior now moving on to the next level, you know, going to participate in the Senior Bowl, you have essentially two spots open. You you think that Tyler Booker is going to slide right in at one of those spots, but um, he can also maybe play tackle if he needs to. Um, but I, it is a situation where you would like to have a, a guy with availability that has, you know, 20 plus starts under his belt back. But um, I think he's going to have plenty of suitors. Uh, I think teams like Georgia, Miami, USC are ones to watch with Cohen. But, you know, there's been some impactful ones. And it's, it is a situation where Nick Saban has you know, been correct in all this and that Alabama is not going to lose its best players. Um, they're going to go out and get other teams, best players, but from a depth perspective is where you get hit a little bit. We've seen three offensive linemen hit the portal now with Damian George, uh, Tanner Bowles and Cohen. You have, um, you know, a few wide receivers or a couple wide receivers with Christian Leary and Treshawn Holden. Holden's a guy that's 
started games for Alabama. I think he's tied for second place on the team with touchdowns. Uh, you mentioned Trey Sanders. That's a depth at running back, a guy that plays special teams. You know, Leary plays special teams. You have a guy in, in Kyrie Jackson that's played special teams and has started games at corner. So it it is certainly, for the bowl game at the very least, you're going to have some, some new faces in there playing on some of these special teams units. Uh, and then they're going to have opportunities to kind of climb the pecking order uh, in the offseason. But I don't think Alabama's done in terms of players jumping in the portal. You know, we'll see what happens. Today's the first day they can officially do that. And they're sitting at nine right now. You had twice as many of those uh, last year with 18. Of course, Jalen Moody you know, came back, so I guess it's really 17. But, um, no, it's a, it's a situation where this is this is the norm. Heck, when we've been on here uh, recording this podcast, you have Zach Calzada entering the portal at Auburn. Um, there's players jumping in all the time, and it's going to continue. And, and Alabama's going to, you know, again, go out and, and scour the, the transfer portal market and try to find – some guys that they like at certain positions and um but they're gonna have you know it's gonna get to double digit transfers and that's gonna probably be the norm from from here on out yeah from a front line perspective alabama will be fine but from a depth and also how that impacts you from a player development perspective and culture uh those are things you have to take into account when you're having not just turnover but let's say well it's about a fourth of your roster that you're turning over to the portal uh, on an annual basis, uh, that certainly creates a, a dynamic that's different from which uh, we've seen Nick Saban and Alabama operate with uh, over his 16 years as the head coach at Alabama. And, you know, I think um, you wrote about this. I know you outlined this here in the, in the recent days, uh, areas where Alabama would most likely be looking to the portal to add. And, we talked about this a little bit too. The quarterback position is, is still in that mix, I would think. And I, I think we're in agreement has to be the right guy. And just from what I've seen to this point of entrance into the portal, for me, I haven't seen the right guy, even DJ Ungalele of Clemson, a guy like that going in for me anyway, based on what I've seen of him to this point at Clemson, I don't, I don't hold him in that regard, but uh, what do you think it would take? Well, is he a guy that would be considered, in your opinion? Um, what what type of player is it? A Caleb Williams sort of opportunity that has to present itself? Yeah, I mean, it has to be a dude. It has to be the right guy. I don't think you want to really shake up your quarterback room um, just for a run-of-the-mill quarterback. I'm not saying that DJ is that, but – you know, it hasn't worked out at, at Clemson. I don't know if you take a, a flyer on that or not. Um, I know some people mentioned, you know, Devin Leary at NC State. I, still, like, I'm with you. I, I haven't seen one that I'm like, oh, you know, you start scratching your shin a little bit and wondering, could Alabama, you know, show some interest there? I think they might kick a tires, the, the tires around on some of these guys. But, um, again, I just – I think that you have to wait until it's a legit dude like a Caleb Williams. I mean, I, I know a lot of people point to Drake May. That would be – the, the situation, the kind of the perfect scenario there uh, for Alabama. And of course, he hasn't entered the portal or, or said he's going to, but something like that I think would have to happen at the quarterback position. And, you know, in looking at that piece that you mentioned, I mean, you got to probably throw offensive guard on there now with the guys that they've had in the portal with Cohen and Bowles and, and Damian George, all those guys can play guard. And those are three guys that are, they're moving on. I know they have a, a pretty stellar class coming in, 
But um, if you can find an experienced guard to, to play opposite of um, Tyler Booker, I, I think that would be ideal now. So Alabama is going to use that as a resource. It's probably not going to go out and, and get, you know, 10 plus transfers, but it's going to get some some dudes that have been uh big-time contributors or have a lot of upside at certain positions. But at quarterback, it's just – you don't go and take a – you know, I, I hate to kind of pile on him here, but you don't go and get Zach Calzada just because he just entered the no. pool. No. It has to be uh, a guy that can come in and, and be a, a day-one starter um, because the guys that you have on campus that are coming in are talented. You want to kind of see what they can do in the off season, but – yeah, you don't want to ruin that and just bringing in some average gunslinger. Yeah, there's there's a dynamic to be considered really in every room when you make those kind of moves and how that can impact the team dynamic and the culture within your roster when you make those moves. And so uh, with Milrow and Simpson already in that mix and a couple of quarterbacks set to join it in this 2023 cycle, You'd have to feel really good about not only the ability of the guy you're bringing in, but how he is wired and how he is going to mesh with the rest of your system and who you've got in place, not only in your quarterback room, but really team wide when you talk about the quarterback position. So, yeah, I think you're right. I think maybe you kick the tires on some of these guys. Look, if one of these guys comes to you, comes to you and says, I understand I'm not the starter coming in. I just want to compete. I just want an opportunity. You know, maybe that's something you would consider as well. Uh, but again, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta know the temperature uh, of your guys, and uh, you, you certainly don't want to be left uh, uh, undermanned at that position uh, just for the sake of taking a flyer on on just about anybody. You, you talk about the guard position, and I think you're right. It's it's fascinating to consider. Uh, how Alabama might go about addressing that. Maybe Terrence Ferguson, a guy like that, Charlie's ready, right, to to step forward uh, at one of those spots. Um, what about a Darian Dahlcourt? Could you maybe swing him over from center and play him some at guard with Seth McLaughlin at center? Um, they have some options, I guess, on the roster, but no doubt if they can go out and get a plug-and-play, all-conference-level type of guy – uh, that wouldn't come as a surprise either. No, and I, I think they they like some some of the guys on the roster. I think Terrence Ferguson's a, one of the options, but it, it just kind of feels like you the offensive line now kind of moves up quite a bit um, because I, I don't know if you envisioned Damian George being a starter, but he's logged some first team minutes on that offensive mm-hmm. line. Um, you know, Tanner Bowles is a guy that has played on uh, field goals and extra points. Uh, and he's a guy that you know, we've seen on that second team um, in the past, especially whenever you've had, you know, Dalcourt um, out with well, out with injury. When they put the twos in, Tanner Bowles yeah. is in the center, too. So I, I think that for me now, if you look at some of the positions that they could target, Offensive line might be number one now. And you could mm-hmm. also, you know, if Tyler Steen moves on, you could look at tackle. Um, so it could be a yeah. couple of guys. And, you know, you have you have Amari Kite still on the roster, and he's a guy that we've seen play for Tyler Steen. You have Tommy Brockermeyer, um, you know, some other guys as well. But, um, you know, with Kendall Randolph running out of eligibility, if Tyler Steen moves on, 
Um, you know, Cohen's a guy that can play tackle too. It, it's just, it seems like the offensive line now is, is one that needs to be kind of at the forefront. And, you know, I'm, I don't know some of the big names in the transfer portal from an offensive line perspective, but I think Nick Saban, Eric Wolford, and that staff um, certainly are going to, you know, look at that as an option moving forward. Yeah, Sal Sanceri probably knows who they are yeah, right about now. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> no, and really, if you look at the difference between like Alabama and Georgia right now, all you got to do is look at the lines of scrimmage, for me anyway. Yeah. And that's where Georgia has just clearly separated. They're not only very talented and large and capable along their offensive line, they are nasty also. And defensively, they got a war daddy like Jalen Carter at defensive tackle or working mostly on the inside there. And, you know, that's where you get your separation. As much as we talk about spreading the field and the passing game and explosive plays, and it's all very important these days. I get it. But Georgia is basically doing it the way Alabama did it 10 years ago. So uh, Kirby's kind of sticking with that uh, for the time being. It's worked pretty well for him. Hey, let's talk some basketball, man. Probably shouldn't have taken this long considering <laughs> – Alabama now ranked in the top 10 in the Associated Press poll this week, Charlie, and a little bit of a one-game respite. It was kind of, I guess, a workmanlike performance against South Dakota State Saturday night at Coleman Coliseum, but a 13-point win nonetheless and some really impressive performances. I guess Mark Sears, seeing him sort of stack another performance on top of what he provided against North Carolina – a week ago Sunday was especially encouraging. And well, you got to like the stuff of Noah Clowney. He's very talented. Don't get me wrong. And he showed it with the uh, stat line he produced against South Dakota state, but to take the type of fall he took against North Carolina and not only come back and play, but play at that level and kind of sacrifice his body again on multiple occasions. um, That's an impressive young dude, man. Yeah, I think not only to to play, given you know the the fall he took, and I think a lot of guys were kind of feeling the effects of playing three games in four days in another time zone and coming back so late. Uh, Nate Oates even among them, but to not only do that, but to see that South Dakota State was like, okay, we're just going to let this guy shoot, and to make them pay for it, I think. It says a lot that he took, I think, four charges in the game. It was clear very early on who was going to win the hard hat uh, on Saturday night. I think Noah Clowney had a, a big game. And you're right. He is a guy that uh, is super talented and I think is really fitting into this NATO system and, and culture that they're wanting to kind of reestablish. And, you know, it wasn't wasn't a pretty win. But again, you know, they talked about the rust they had to knock off the way they were feeling after. Um, you know, that trip out to Portland, a very successful trip, I might add, because um, UConn's still undefeated. They're up to number five in the AP poll. Um, I think UConn's going to be a problem for a lot of teams moving forward. Um, in North Carolina, not so much. I think they've lost, what, four in a row now. They've dropped out of the AP poll. Unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, still, you can hang your hat on beating the number one team. Alabama's going to have another opportunity to do that Saturday, going to Houston. Uh, but Alabama's up to eighth. They're they're playing well and they're getting you know guys healthy. Dom Welch is going to be back soon. You know, looking at the bench on Saturday, he didn't have a walking boot on, which is a sign of progress. And you know, once he is back, you have everybody healthy now. And Nato is going to have to you know, figure out what to do from a rotation standpoint. It's not a bad problem to have, 
But um, I think it's going to be interesting just to see how this team looks at full tilt and what Nate Oates chooses to do from a, a lineup and rotational standpoint. Yeah, just looking at the minutes for South Dakota State, I thought that was interesting because it's maybe an indication of where they're uh, headed uh, from a rotational perspective. Sears played 31 minutes. Betty Yako, uh stays out of foul trouble. He plays 26. Clowney plays 29 minutes. Brandon Miller, 33 minutes. Uh, and then you get into the bench. Uh, Jaden Bradley played 18 Um uh, and Javon played 21, but that was about it in terms of double-digit minutes even for the bench. So I think it's maybe still a little early to make definitive judgments about exactly how this rotation is shaping up. But I think overtimes against North Carolina and then this game against South Dakota State, uh, maybe we're starting to see that take shape a little bit. No, I think you're right. And, um, you know, it. It'll still though. It, you're still kind of feeling things out, and I think this this next stretch will, will teach us a lot about this team and what it's going to look like moving forward. Uh, you have Houston coming up. You've got Memphis. You've got Gonzaga. Another tough stretch we saw last season. I think though, um, you know, it, it's clear the lineup he wants to put out there from a starting standpoint. We know Javon Quinterly is going to be one of the first guys off the bench. Ryland Griffin is going to be a big part of this. Uh, offense because he's a guy that's he's got that John Petty in him he's never seen a shot that he doesn't like and he's gonna he's gonna take him up and they need that sometimes but um it's gonna be interesting from a guard standpoint because Jaden Bradley's been playing well you have three-point guards that have done some nice things this year um you know Noah Gurley is a veteran player that has provided some some nice minutes for you and then you know we haven't really seen Dom Welch much um outside of preseason stuff and you know he looked good and they brought him in for a reason from a shooter standpoint but um you know I, I think moving forward uh it'll be interesting to see how he gets in the mix but you're right I think these last couple of games have kind of shown the overtime period against North Carolina showed you know the guys that they trust and guys will probably see a lot moving forward but now with a full roster and going against some of the best teams in the country um yeah I, I think we're going to learn a lot about this team this next what week and a half or so oh man interesting stretch because as you know a year ago alabama beats gonzaga and houston in a wild game at coleman coliseum um and you're thinking boy this is another team that's going to compete for an sec championship this time a year ago was about as good as it got for that team <laughs> right for yeah. alabama because they never came back it seemed like from the the break from you Christmas had the ba- break. you had the baylor game in january but that was it that's it was- right yeah you're right you're right, but that was uh, sort of the exception. Of the pan, yeah. yeah, yeah, so we'll see. Uh, yeah, these games, the point is these games are important, but two years ago, Alabama didn't look like an SEC championship team at about this time, and what did they turn out to be? You know, So uh, they're important games, but uh, uh, they're fun for the fans, man. I mean, you, you talk about a stretch of uh, Houston, Memphis, Gonzaga. I mean, it's... That's a lot of fun if you're an Alabama fan. Well, Charlie, we're going to let you get out of here. I tried to keep this to the uh, fastest 30 minutes in Crimson Tide podcasting. I think it's more like the fastest 40, um, something neither you or I have ever been referred to as having the fastest 40. But uh, we'll take it here on the Bama Online Podcast. And as always, appreciate your great work for us there at BamaOnline.com and for taking the time here on the Bama Online Podcast as well. Yeah, no problem, man. It's always good to catch up. I know 
there's a lot going on. I think we, we covered it pretty well. I think we hit it. And uh, again, exceptionally fluid, the situation for football where coaching changes and transfer portal and NFL decisions and all those things are still to be made. And you're going to get all of it first right there with us at BamaOnline.com. Come hang out with us on the roundtable, the premium message board of choice for Crimson Tide fans around the globe. The roundtable right there at BamaOnline.com. If you haven't subscribed to this podcast, the Bama Online Podcast, we hope you'll consider doing so. And if you do follow through and do just that, please leave us a rating and a review. That would help us out a great deal as well. For Charlie Potter, Travis Ryer. Thanking you once again, and until next time, song everybody. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.